The future of fitness is here. Be a part of it. NASM's new virtual coaching course will equip you with the skills, tools, and strategies necessary to launch, operate, or transition your current fitness or wellness business to a successful virtual coaching business. As a virtual coaching specialist, you'll open yourself to a whole new world of opportunities. Being able to help clients from around the world, anywhere, and anytime. It's the ultimate flexibility as a trainer, while also creating new revenue streams. Start the next phase of your training career with NASM's Virtual Coaching Specialization. Sign up today at nasm.org or call 1-800-460-6276. Hello, everyone. Happy Friday. Welcome to our Strong Mind, Strong Body podcast devoted to all things mind and body. So today we have a very special topic. We are going to talk about working with older adults, especially older adults who have movement impairments or compromised movement patterns, even older adults who might present with Parkinson's disease. And I brought with me a very, very special guest today. Her name is PJ Olson, and she is she has found her niche in working with older adults and has a really great history in that space. So PJ owns Restorative Strength, and uh, you know, I never even introduced myself. I'm Angie Miller. I'm an NASM Master Instructor, so I, re I really am glad you're here today. I know that PJ is glad you're here today. You're going to learn a lot of great information about working with older adults, helping those compromise movement patterns, and just in general kind of developing programming and learning what their limiting beliefs are and what they most need when we train with them. So let's welcome PJ and give her a chance to introduce herself. Hi, Angie. Thank you so much. I've been such a fan of yours for so long, and I love that we have this connection of working and being really passionate about the, the older population. So I'm excited to be here, very honored, and I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, you know, PJ, your experience and my experience in working with older adults is very, very different. So I've taught older adults in group fitness settings. I've done that for over a decade. And currently I teach an older adult groupness class that the average age is 83. But it's very, very different to lead older adults in a large group setting than it is to train them one on one. And so that's why I brought you in, because I know that you have a tremendous amount of expertise in working with older adults one on one. And so, you know, first I want to start with though, PJ, because I know know personally that your your journey is very interesting so tell us how you what was your impetus to start working with this population because i know you came from a very different space initially yes <laughs> i had worked in the music industry for 30 years um so i uh but all along all through my life i was always very active and i always wanted to my family members to always have just the able bodies that, that I, I had experienced with them as I was growing up. But unfortunately, both of my parents, um, for different reasons, my mom had used to go to the YMCA, part of it's for social, but part of it's for exercise. And then my dad used to go walking and biking with me. And then when they hit about their uh, early 40s, mid 40s, they both just stopped. And at the time, I remember just being sad about that because it, it brought great joy to them to be able to experience that physical space uh, with me or with their friends. And then as we as we 
proceeded on in our lives and I got older, I hit my uh, 40s and my dad had retired. I was They had gotten a, a vacation place down in Phoenix. It was a 55 plus community. And when I got down there to visit the first time, just watching them walk around um, and just noticing how much mobility they had truly lost over the years. And it just almost looked painful in their walking. And then I looked at the whole community of the 55 plus and just noticed the same thing all the way around. And I thought, wow, is, is this where life is headed? I'm only 40. And is this where I'm going to head off? And I thought, uh, uh, this is not going to be me. Um, so when I hit 50, then of course I started experiencing some physical pain um, from sitting behind that computer all day, working at my lovely job in the music industry, which I really did enjoy. But the pain that it would brought about from sitting, because we didn't know at that time that if we sat for extended periods of time, no matter how physically active you were on the weekends or in the evenings, your body was going to start to break down and that's what happened. I went about starting to find out how I could heal my own body. And so workshops, certifications, all these things that were gonna that were helping me educate myself about what I could do to improve my own mobility so that I could grow old feeling well and being active. When I and then also I started looking at my peers. And that's when I thought, wow, we're in our 50s, and most of my friends cannot even squat down to the floor. They're complaining about lower back pain, shoulder pain, and all that stuff that comes along with a sedentary lifestyle that we experience. And that's when I thought, this is it. Uh, this is what I need to do. I need to work with the 50-plus crowd and help them restore their mobility and their strength, just like it did for myself, because there's just so much life out there. We're all living to be an older age. And I thought, who wants to be 50 and live to be 80 and has spent those last 30 years in pain, taking uh, ibuprofen, uh, getting surgeries, whatever people do when they get into that painful situation. So that was why I made the switches based family, watching my family, then watching my friends and just saying the world needs help. The world of adults, older adults need help and I'm here to help them. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. It's funny because as you get closer and closer to that stage in life where you could rightfully be considered an older adult, you do, you have this bird, this, this personal view of what people in your space can start to look like and what their mobility can start to look like. And maybe the, the sense of feeling defeated or losing hope or whatever it might be. I know for my mom, you and I both lost our mom to cognitive related uh, diseases, so cognitive decline. And I know that the, the one thing that really was the tipping point for her was losing her personal autonomy. So losing her ability to take care of herself, to make her own decisions. And so for a lot of older adults, that is one of the greatest human fears is losing our personal autonomy. And so for older adults, I think being able to hold on to that, being able to still drive their vehicle, live in their own home, that is such a pivotal part of being able to age and age well. And so that is what drew me to the older adult population too, is just realizing that whatever impact I can make with the population and helping them to maintain their personal autonomy is, is part of my mission, right? So I think that that's great. I think that watching our parents, watching the people around us, huge, huge impetus. So I'm glad you joined the space. So you did that in your 50s and here you are making a big difference. So I'm curious, what are, when you're working with older adults and they come into you, what are the differences in their wants and their needs versus the wants and the needs of, um, 
other populations because surely the last thing they worry about is whether they have big guns and tight buns right, right. so the older adults I, I it's very different again it's about personal autonomy but what else is their wants and needs their their drivers or motivators yeah typically what i hear from uh potential clients when they come in is that there's there's different aspects of it it some for some of them it's just they just want to get out of pain and stiffness like they just don't feel good and they feel like it's actually hurting their relationships uh their personal relationships because they feel like they're always mentioning oh my shoulder you know my lower back and they feel like it's just their whole focus is on that and they feel like their spouse or family members are kind of just kind of pulling back away from them because they don't want to be around that so there's that aspect and then we also have the others that just they you know they had planned into retirement that they were going to be able to go spend time with their friends out on the hiking trails traveling so being able to drive and uh, ride in cars for long periods of time or even uh, you know being able to move through an airport these large airports and get to the other side and then actually be able to enjoy what they're out there to see um, which can get very difficult if they don't move well and then also too just the independence of being able to do daily activities without having to call upon someone. Um, a lot of them actually, they, I've had some where they can barely roll out of bed, so their their spouse has to literally pull them out, and which can be really challenging when it's a you know a, a, a large male who's getting pulled out by a tiny his tiny little female wife. So there's a lot of different things. If I don't feel like it's a lot of I have a lot of life and I want to enjoy it with all these different activities, or it is. I can't even reach up to change the light bulb. And that's not how I foresaw my future. I don't want to have to rely on somebody else. And then there's always the thought of what happens when my spouse goes, if they go before I do, and I can't, and I can't do it. So they're really looking more for the ability to just move well and be strong enough to be able to perform those daily activities and to move with ease and grace. And so that when they reach down because they've dropped something, they can get back up from the floor. And then that little twisting motion didn't throw their back out for the rest of the day. Yeah. And what I hear there is confidence. They want the confidence to believe that they can move well and that if they do outlive their spouse and they do have to take care of themselves, they want the confidence to know that they're going to be able to do those activities of daily living. And they want that hope that life holds more for them than just being immobile and being at the mercy of other people, right? Yes. Yeah. The confidence is a huge issue because when they don't move well and they are experiencing the pain and stiffness that they really do feel as if they're a little bit helpless and that they're now going to have to rely on people. So their confidence really diminishes. And it's interesting to see how really quickly, like within two to three weeks, how that confidence can actually rebound. And usually within one session, the hope can be restored because when they get through an hour session and they and when they get up from that that hour long session and they realize how much better they feel now than they did when they came in an hour ago i've had numerous clients say i see what you're doing here you're providing me hope yeah i feel hopeful that tomorrow can be a better day and that next week can be a better week and next year can be a better year and that I actually might be able to live out my years actually being able to do all the things I want to do and feel good about it and feel good in my body. 
Yeah, and I think that's huge. And isn't it amazing that that transformation can happen just within a couple of sessions? Just a little personalized attention builds that sense of competence. And you know, that that sense of competence, personal autonomy, and the motivation, somebody kind of telling us that we can do it, but we do, we have to believe we can, right? We have to have somebody there guiding us along the way, making us feel like we are going to be able to achieve this. and, And that's where you come in. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have my favorite story and I'll make it quick, but I had a 72 year old woman with Parkinson's disease. She reached out to me. She had fallen numerous times. She was scared to death, uh, just frightened beyond belief. And she reached out. And um, but the first time we talked about it, we talked about, well, do you want to be on the bed? Do you want to be on the floor? Do you want to be in a chair? And she said she looked at me like, oh, I can't get down the floor. That's that's where I hurt myself. And so we, I said, fine, that's totally fine. We are going to start from the chair and we're going to stay in the chair as long as we have to or as long as you want. And the first time we showed up, you could just see the fear. The whole body was braced. She wasn't breathing well because she's like, what's the session going to be like? I know she seemed like a nice trainer, but what's the session going to be like? What's she going to make me do? <laughs> And so we just started moving, just gentle movements, diaphragmatic breathing, just trying to move the body in different ways that it's designed to move. We got to the end of the hour, and you could just see the, her how relaxed she, her face got, her body was relaxed. So when she came back, that was on a Monday when she came back on Thursday, as soon as her, I turned on my camera, here she is, and it just looked a whole, whole different person. She like literally her shoulders down, were down away from her ears, she had a smile on her face, and she just looked relaxed. She looked like this this is this could work i can do this i can do this and i've got the right person to help me do this i love that it's like the person that she was 20 years prior is probably the person that showed up in the chair the person who never would have imagined that she would have fallen on the floor and felt like she was so um you know felt like she had lost her hope and her confidence and her ability to move which is just something that we seem to to take for granted until you know something happens and we can't so um i love that so when you're doing an onboarding or you're you're doing, I know you call it like an onboarding, when you're doing that initial session where you meet with your client for the first time, how is that different? Or what are some of the things that you do in that initial session that you think separates you as an, a person who works with older adults versus somebody who's just doing a regular intake session for as a trainer? Yeah. I always do a complimentary session. Um, I always schedule it for 30 minutes, but it often turns into 45 minutes and sometimes an hour, depending on the person and how things are moving along. Um, But with with like with a regular person, I call regular person. Um, when I was teaching like people for kettlebell classes and meeting with them for the first time, you know, I did the typical health, uh, you know, assessment and a movement assessment just to see how they are moving, seeing if maybe, you know, what they lifted a kettlebell, would they be able to do that without hurting themselves? And there was a lot more about that aspect. How are you moving? What's your health history? With this population, when they come in, first of all, I never have anyone fill out a questionnaire, a health questionnaire. I feel like, especially with that older group, that I think that there's a little lack of awareness of what it is they're actually experiencing. They just know they don't feel well. They know that they lack strength. They know that they can't get through their daily activities. So there's usually kind of a, a just a disconnect from what they put on the paper versus what's actually happening. Mm-hmm. So instead of having that, and I will take notes while I'm talking to them, but I like to engage them in conversation. First of all, it kind of helps develop that 
that level of trust and they get to know me better and feel out my personality and whether I'm there just to collect some money from them or if I'm truly wanting to help them. So it's just engaging in conversation and just, you know, I do still go through similar questions about the health history and just kind of running down, okay, what's your experience with fitness? What has happened? What what's caused you to what you think you has caused you to get to this position where you can't really engage in a class or go hiking or that kind of thing? And then when I get to the the, the history, the health history, this is where it gets interesting because this is where they either are just spouting out what their doctors have told them because they really don't know what's going on or they're giving some version of what they think is but as i dig further into questions because again every time they say something it's actually kind of allowing me to feel like what direction i need to take the conversation and to really dig out the information i'm looking for and so again in that time period I can really start to get a feel for them. They can get a feel for me. And at the same time, just with the questions, I can dig in a little bit deeper so that if I learn finally through all the questions that the woman has had a C-section uh, or maybe the gentleman's had uh, you know, hernia repair or any, any, anything that's gone on along the way or maybe a broken ankle when they were five, I can start to suggest, you know what, this, this could be why you are feeling what you're feeling, but that's okay. Let's just shelf that for right now. Let's just start working and start to get you moving and breathing and see where we can go from here. But I really feel like, and I always really make sure I feel like I know this is going to work for you. It's worked for everybody else I've worked with, whether they have Parkinson's disease or they're a high level athlete. This stuff works. And I think I feel confident that you're going to feel so much better in a few weeks. Yeah, I love that. And I love that it's not just a check, 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 right? It's a, it's a, I have kind of a foundation of what I want to ask each person, but really based on their answers, this is the road that I'm going to take with them because they kind of determine the path or the way that I ask these questions or what questions I ask just based on the history that they give me. I think that's really important and it, it invites dialogue because like you said, otherwise it's them kind of talking about what a physician told them, but there is there's not really an understanding a lot of times when a physician speaks their speak, sometimes and all of us walk away sometimes and think, I'm not sure I understand what they just told me. Yes, right, exactly. And I don't know how that differs when you're working with a group, setting up a group client. You might be able to speak to that, how you, uh, how you, what your first onboarding situation is for them. Yeah, well, you know, and it's interesting because it's true, you know, when you're teaching a, a large group, I think, so much of that experience when you come in is you don't get the opportunity to meet with them individually one-on-one. -on -one. So what I do in large group settings is I make it a point to stick around afterwards just to have conversations. And you know, it's it's the fitness class that I am most likely to, if it ends at 11, I'm most likely to still be there at noon because I'm I'm hanging out with them and hearing their stories, hearing them tell me about their family, their history, hearing them talk about their injuries. And that's when I hear about these limiting beliefs or what, what makes them motivated to come to class. And so that kind of having that personal uh, insight into their, their story or understanding where they're coming from really does. You're right. It does help me kind of create this classroom structure that is catered to them. So, yeah. 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 Start to feel that deep, deeper connection with them and it, it makes them want to come back because they're like, yeah. oh, somebody, somebody's actually hearing me. Someone's listening, truly listening to me and actually hearing me. 
very important with this older uh, this older age to really hold space for them and allow them to share what they want to share when they come in and not shut them down. So even like when they do start to come work with me, you know, I think we talked about this earlier that the, some like to have a little conversation before they start moving and others are like, okay, I'm here to move. So let's just get going. And then we can converse maybe somewhere along the way or maybe stay afterwards. But I mean, when you're allowing that person to get out of the session, what they want. So even if it's 15 minutes of conversation and they're okay with it, knowing now their, their movements actually now been reduced to 30 or 45 minutes. It was they felt it necessary. You could feel that they feel a little bit. It, it's almost like another way of re uh, relaxing that nervous system, just to be able to talk about what's going on in their life or what what it is they want to address. That's just going to help them feel like someone being a little bit, you know, hearing them, showing some compassion and just understanding how this might actually be affecting even their movement. You know. Yeah, we've, we've met. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and being heard is a huge thing because you know we talked about you know those key components of motivation is the having your personal autonomy, having that sense of competence that we can do it, and the other part of that is that connectedness, feeling like we belong to something, and and that connectedness is what does keep them coming back for more, especially with older adults. They need to feel like they're being heard. I remember one time one of my favorite uh, students told me that when you become older that you become invisible that you know you'll go to the store and ask a question and you know it's she's like it's amazing the response or you can walk into a store and be completely negated um so and and gosh forbid you're the crotchety old lady or whatever you might be deemed as and so she talked a lot about you know becoming invisible as you got older and so and i find it interesting because like you you mentioned to me you work with very educated older adults but it doesn't necessarily mean that they have great insight into their into their bodies and most of the general population does not and so you know i too a lot of the older adults who come to these classes come from really strong backgrounds i mean they had wonderful careers and we're used to making a pivotal difference in this world and being heard by people and so to think that just age alone can make a person feel invisible can in and of itself feel kind of demoralizing so i'm glad that you hold space for them yeah, it's just it's so important, and you know, and it's rewarding. I I I, I love learning about other people. I love hearing about their experiences. Um, I just love yeah. So it's it for me. It's just rewarding. First of all, just to be able to connect with them, make them feel comfortable in this space, but then also knowing that. I'm helping them beyond the physical space. It's not just about getting them to move better, that there's actually a little bit of uh, helping with them, a little bit with a, a mind shift from time to time, especially if they do have that kind of negative self-talk or that I'm not, I'm not athletic or I, you know, I'm not going to be able to do this. This is too hard. And then it just kind of allows me to just kind of ease into like, no, you are doing fabulous. Uh, I, I know you can do this and you're doing great. So just let's keep going. Um, but um, that's that that connectedness right there is helpful again in building their confidence and providing them hope. Yeah, for sure. So what do you think are some of the limiting beliefs when they come to you? You know, everybody comes in with limiting beliefs. And so I know that it's a very individual thing. But when you're um, what do you find that's kind of a pervasive kind of limiting belief in that um, in that space? I, and, and you and I talked about one of them, I think, especially for women, because women in that generation, a lot of times, you know, they grew up doing square dancing and never a weight did they 
and uh, they grew up doing, you know, girls and boys were separated in PE and there was never any um, talk of doing strength training or pull-ups or push-ups or any of that. And so I imagine you see your fair share of limiting beliefs. Yeah. Yeah. Typically the first one I hear, of course, is about the age. Um, And I, and that, that is just so disturbing to me that really people still have this whole aging attitude that they get to a certain age and this is it. This is all they've got. Um, they've watched their family. So they think, well, this is just like my parents, my siblings. It's it's genetic. This is how this is how my life is going to move forward because this is where I'm coming from. So the age is a big issue. Um, the I, like you said about the square debt. Yeah. So a lot of people so I'm 61 um, and I know that in my physical education class, you know, they split us between boys and girls right (laughs) and so and even all the way through high school it was split boys and girls and so I find it amazing that like we were never told to do how to do push-ups they didn't even ask us to do push-ups you know we didn't do pull-ups I don't even I didn't even know what a pull-up bar looked like for it seemed like forever you know much less how to how to use those tools how to do a push-up so it was it was the square dancing it was the dodgeball it was like maybe throwing a few hoops um maybe um but yeah so the, a lot of them come in and they just never have experienced what muscles actually feel like and what they're supposed to do and so their first word is besides their age is i've never been an athlete i've never been athletic. <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah and so i love always taking that one especially because I can then share my story of how, you know, even though I did was active, I was on the B squad on the tennis team in high school. If there had been a C squad, I would have been there. <laughs> Volleyball, I had to fail out of because I ended up being five foot three amongst the five foot 10 people. I couldn't get, couldn't figure out how to play the game anymore. So I never really excelled at anything. And I never thought of myself as an athlete. And it's funny, it took me until I was in my early fifties and had started working with kettlebells. And it was actually the, all the training I did with kettlebells. And again, for the first time I was learning from a coach and instructor that truly taught the skill of strength. And so here at 52, 50, 51, 52, I was actually suddenly feeling athletic because now I understood how my body was supposed to move. I understood how the muscles were supposed to work. And because it was a skill and it wasn't something you were born with, it was actually a skill you developed that I thought, I now I see the possibilities. And so that was the first time I actually considered myself an athlete. And I love sharing that with people because they have to understand that the first 50 years, you do not have to have, you know, the trophy uh, or any of the letter jacket or all those things that you associate with that, that they can actually, once they find what they resonate with, whether it be Pilates, yoga, you know, kettlebells, whatever, that if they resonate with it and they practice it and are consistent with their practice, that they too might actually feel that they are athletic. So it's really exciting to see that happen. Oh, for yeah. sure. You could be an athlete at any age. And I always say that when I was growing up, you know, I, I was never a sporty spice. So I was, you know, the last one picked for the team out on the, the kickball court and that type of thing. So you could become an athlete at any age. And I do, I love teaching that with older adults and putting a, a pair of uh, hand weights in their hands and and showing them the power of strength and, and just developing muscle and ability to move well. So I think that's fantastic. I love yeah. That. So fun, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs>
So when they come to, I imagine they come with a lot of questions. Our clients always come in with a lot of questions. And uh, what are what are some of the questions that they ask you when they come in, and or the questions that you hear over the course of time when you're working with older adults? Because I imagine they're tied into their limiting beliefs. Yeah. So yeah, it does tie in very closely. So a lot of, is, am I too old for this? Am I too old to get where I can start to move well and actually go do these things that I wanted to do, like getting back to my golf game or whatever? So that's a question I get asked a lot is, you know, am I going to be able to do this? Am I even strong enough right now um, to even start with you? Um, do I need to do something different first to be able to work with you? And which, of course, the answer is no. <laughs> so that's um, that. And then I also get the question of how long is this going to take? <laughs> so <laughs> how long do I have to spend with you? <laughs> so I, but I, so I do remind them that uh, you know that we didn't get this way overnight. So when I turned fifty and had all these, you know, these movement issues and the, the pain in my hip, the pain in my lower back, the bad posture, I, you know, I knew that I didn't get there overnight. Um, what I tell them, and I try not to give them a timeline, <laughs> but I yeah. do explain that when I'm working with someone who's thirty or thirty-five that they are more likely to start to restore their mobility and strength and get rid of maybe the pains pretty quickly, but they've also only had, you know, maybe a decade or two decades of these, of developing these patterns that are less than optimal of how they're sitting, standing, moving, lifting, all that kind of stuff. So, and then I tell them that I do work with people in their 70s where it definitely takes longer than a week. <laughs> but, if, but if they, but I just tell them, it, it kind of put it back on them. If you are consistent with your practice of just practicing five to 10 minutes, these movements, once you've learned them, once your body's restored, this started to relearn how your body's designed to move, that if you're consistent with your practice and regularly throughout the week, that they, that even in three, two, three weeks time, they will start to notice some significant changes. I usually find it's by the fourth session with my clients that it's the fourth session that there's like a light bulb that's gone off, that they're just like, wow, you know, I, I think I want to come to you for another four sessions because, you know, the shoulder that I couldn't move, but here, now it's up here. And I've seen every doctor, every chiropractor, every whatever, and I've never experienced that. So again, once they start to feel, move and feel better, again, it provides that hope and that confidence that, that like, I, wow, maybe I can do this. Maybe I can move forward from here. Now, what are the other possibilities of what I can do since I've already experienced this in just four short weeks? So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. It's funny because it's. I'm sure initially it is, how long do I have to be here, <laughs> teacher? <laughs> but then it becomes, you know, I don't want to leave you because look what you've done. Look at the progress that I've made. And now I feel this sense of competence and empowerment and I don't want to stop. I keep feeling this way. So I would imagine too, there's a little bit of imposter syndrome, like, you know, is it really too late for me? Should I really be here? Because I mean, I always understood that this is just part of getting old. Like you said, we see these, we see these histories, like this is the way my parents age. This is the way my friends are aging. Is it worth it for me to really do this? So I, I would imagine you get a little bit of that imposter syndrome too. Well, and I think that's where the support system also comes in. And I do, I do, I don't always ask about the support system right off the bat, but as I work with them and I start to notice things, sometimes I will ask about their support system. Like, you know, who, 
what are, what's your family saying about what you're doing? Um, yes. Do they encourage you to keep doing it? Do they encourage you to go? Or are they saying, oh, blow off that class or that session. Let's go have coffee. Because they're not willing to do the work to improve their lives and their futures. And the same thing with spouses. I've seen spouses um, be just really kind of like, eh, you know what, they're just, they're bound to just keep deteriorating. So, you know, why, why should I even encourage them to keep doing this? This is silly. They can't do it. So sometimes the limiting beliefs are actually coming from their loved ones or, yes. you know, their friends. And so that's, and that's the part where I always step in a little bit and just say, you know what, these people are just afraid that as you grow and move, try to move forward and improve your own quality of your life, that they might be a little bit afraid that you're going to leave them behind. So that when you can get back on the trail and start hiking again, or you can get back out on the golf cars and start golfing again, that maybe now that those relationships are going to change and not in a way that they want it to. Um, so I always try to encourage them to just realize that that's that person's energy and not their own and to just keep forging ahead. And then maybe, maybe, just maybe they'll inspire one of their friends or family members to start up and try to get into that same thought pattern, that same mindset that will help them get to where they can go back out onto the hiking trail or back on the golf course. So yeah, the support system is really important. Yeah. Who are they hanging out? I think out? so too. And I think it's good that you ask about that at some point, because you're right. I mean, even at any age, um, support system matters. And at any age we're listening, we're inclined to hear the voice of our spouse or inclined to hear the voice of our friends. And Sometimes it is those people in our space, even the people who are close to us are the most threatened if, if, because I always say that in a dynamic, if one person in that dynamic changes, then the dynamic is forced to change. And so even if the spouse isn't wanting to go and get healthy or change their lives, they know that if the, if the, if the partner does, then the whole, the whole dynamic is going to change. Like you said, somebody's going to walk out on the trail and the other person is going to feel like they can't keep up. And so yeah. it is it is worth mentioning that in a way that um, that honors that they love and respect those people in their lives, but they really have to consider um, that everybody speaks from where they are in their space and where they are may not be where you are and you have to honor where you are and what your needs are. So yeah. yeah. And I encourage them to bring it up with the unsupportive person, you know, if it's someone who they, they truly want to keep in their life, like their spouse, <laughs> that, yeah. that there is a way to bring it up without being combative or argumentative or, you know, but to just kind of just state like, this is where I'm at and this is what I need and this is what I need from you. And it's, sometimes it's really uncomfortable, especially for that older generation, um, you know, the 60 and above, because that's not where we came from. I know as a woman, <laughs> you might feel the same way, but we were not, you know, conditioned to speak up and, you know, sh speak our voice. And so sometimes there's a lot of discomfort just around that. So I just, you know, I don't force them to do it, but I just try to keep instilling in them, you know, this is, this is your life, this is your body and you seem to have the motivation and desire to make it better. So just bring that other person along and try to bring them into your circle and just see what happens, but just do it in a way where it is more of a conversation and not an argument <laughs> for how right, things. Right. Yeah. That's funny. I'm like, what are you talking about? I still have a problem speaking up. <laughs> still not. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> we haven't outgrown that one. So, you know, it's 
it's funny because one of the things that I do here in my classes, though, that I find kind of humorous is sometimes, you know, I'll have a gentleman come in and he'll be all, er, 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 and he'll be like, my wife said this morning, don't you have a fitness class to go to? And so, you know, that sometimes in that system, it is their time away from each other. And they are kind of giving each other a little kick in the seat to, to get out of the house or to go do something. So sometimes yeah. it can work in your favor. There might be someone in the back seat saying, I need you to go do something for an hour. So uh, yes. we're, sp yeah. we're spending too much time to together so out of curiosity because everybody always you know we learn from each other we learn from each other's stories and that's why you and I love working with older adults because we love to hear their histories and their stories and it's very inspiring but I think as trainers we learn from one another too and I'm I'm curious what is your training model like how often do you meet with your clients how many sessions a week and are you doing live or zoom so what's your training model look like so these days I'm doing zoom <laughs> um and it's interesting because when I took it on a Zoom, I was a little concerned I was going to lose some elements of that live interaction. Um, I was worried about being able to connect through the computer screen. That was a big issue for me because I'm all about that connection. You know, are we looking? You know, can I look them in the eye and can I just really feel they can feel my pre being present with them? Um, and it was interesting how that actually did translate. I actually had some clients say, well, I just feel like we're right here. You know, I actually mm -hmm. and actually I think it made me even a little bit more present because I was really so focused on staying engaged with them that it maybe even brought me to being even more present with them. So I do, I, I am doing Zoom. Um, I'm not sure where that's headed. I, I think I am planning on staying uh, uh, in the digital world now that I realize how uh, effective it is. I do miss a couple elements. Like I, you know, I love to use postural assessments to kind of help determine because again sometimes what they're feeling is not exactly what's going on in their body so they sometimes don't even know that they're standing crooked or that their head is off center or that they're really forward or maybe there's a, a, a pelvic imbalance it's a little harder to see in this space um so but it's also then made me better at asking the questions as we work a lot, you know, what are you feeling? You know, can you feel this? Can you feel that? What, you know, what's going on? So it's actually made me a little bit more, um, you know, just a, a little bit more active in how many questions I'm asking, because now I can't totally rely on my eyes to see what I want to see. And it's impressive. I'm impressed with what does come up as we move around, because sometimes they actually do kind of tap into what's going on. But I do like to do, um, I kind of leave it up to the client. Um, I find with my private Parkinson's clients that they typically want to start twice a week. Um, they, they talk about lack of confidence. That's that is one of the big elements with that uh, that group because you know again Parkinson's is a movement disorder, so they feel very yeah you know, they feel a lot of stuff going on and none of it's good. So a lot of times they'll start with twice a week. Um, until they feel confident enough to either step into my Zoom class, which is a small group class. I only have uh, a few clients and I'm willing to add a couple more in if they're a good fit. Um, so we work, work privately and others just want to work privately and they'll do two a week until they say, I'm ready to go once a week. And then we just continue on once a week. Other clients, sometimes all they want is just someone to help show them what they can do to get out of the pain and stiffness. So sometimes they'll come in at four sessions and they think that's where they're going to end up. 
Very few stop at four. That's usually when they start to see the possibilities. <laughs> even on those weekly, even on those weekly sessions, it's interesting. Um, if they're doing the work in between, the little bit of homework I assign them, and again, it's just these simple movements primarily. If they can do it, I can usually tell when they return the second and the third week, and they can tell the difference because when they walk in that door, again, this was back when we were in person, a little hard to see now, but when they walk in that door, you can just see they, they they look taller. So even if I'm seeing them on the screen, they do. They look taller. Their shoulders are relaxed down away from the ears. Their faces look softer. Their eyes look just more, you know, just calm. And so it's just a whole postural thing that changes. So weekly for most will work. Um, if they're if they're comfortable with that, that's where we go with it to start. And then we I always tell them, look, I'm very flexible. We can change this however you feel is best for you. So I put it on them. I don't make them come twice a week. I don't even make them come once a week if they're busy and they suddenly say, hey, I know I've only met with you once, but can we put this off for a few more weeks? Life is happening. Yes, we can. We can pick right back up in a few weeks. That's totally sure. fine. Yeah. So you're, it's very individualized. Some of them you work with one-on-one, -on -one. some of them you put into a smaller group type of setting and they can join that Zoom class. Um, so it's very individualized. Some are once a week, some are twice a week. And yeah. I imagine that your programming is determined too, that some sessions are shorter than others. So. Yeah. Yes, yes. Typically, I suggest an hour, especially the older they are, because again, we spend those first two couple sessions working just on movement, just how the body's designed to move. And it's interesting to see that, you know, if they if they really have a lot of compromised movement patterns that just, you know, rotating the upper part of their body and feeling it, you know, that it's separate, that they can actually segmentally move through rotation can feel really odd and unfamiliar to them. <laughs> so, so, um, so yeah, we, um, you know, we work within what, what the individual needs at that moment. Um, and again, the hour is usually necessary for the older group because it does take them longer. They have a, end up with a lot of questions, a lot of questions in the first few sessions, like, what is it I'm feeling? Should I feel this? <laughs> you know, that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, is this normal? Yeah, yeah. But for some, for some 45 minutes is all they need, you know, it kind of, again, depends. The the people who were the most athletic earlier on, I feel like can get by with the 45 minutes because their bodies just start to move better more quickly because they've yeah. already engaged in these movement patterns. Yeah. Sure, yeah. sure. There's some familiarity there. So my last question, PJ, I just, my last question would be, if you had something that you could share with trainers out there, any thoughts or advice or insights on trainers out there who are thinking about working with this population, because I think there's a tremendous need. And I think that both of us come from a very personal space on this. And I would sure love to see trainers embrace this population, embrace it from here and really, really want to make an impactful difference. So any thoughts or advice for those trainers? Yeah, I think, you know, it, it when you come from your heart center, when you're really walking into the situation and it's coming from your heart, you're, you know, showing that feeling and showing that compassion and really listening. Um, I think you can just make such a difference in the lives of the people. You know, there there is a little bit of an isolation aspect for these older adults that they're empty nesters or maybe they're divorced and they're, you know, they're alone. And again, they're seeking out that social thing. I really think that we can by just being present for them, really holding space and listening is that's going to be a key element. When it comes to the physical stuff, really tuning into what they're saying. Um, 
you know, when, again, when they're trying to explain what it is they're feeling, again, it might be, you know, they might say it's the shoulder. And then when we realize what's happening is that they had a C-section and now maybe that scar tissue is affecting the shoulder. So let's have a little conversation about scar tissue so that you know that it, you know, that that might be what's causing it. So the willingness to educate them without making them feel embarrassed or ashamed that they don't know this information because again, our generation didn't grow up with this information. We didn't talk about scar tissue. We didn't talk about myofascial release. We didn't talk about how you engage, you know, different muscles. So again, if they feel, if they feel, you can sometimes see it in their eye where they're almost too embarrassed or too filled with shame to ask the question because they're thinking, I was a corporate executive. Why don't I know this? And they'll say, this is the first time I'm hearing this. And I always say, yeah, all of us. This is for us, this is relatively new information. So if you haven't heard of it, there's there's nothing to be concerned about. And I'm happy to answer any more questions you have or refer you out to somebody that could help you with that situation. So yeah, I think it's just the really from the heart. I think the heart's such a big thing when you're working with the adult population, you probably feel the same way. <laughs> I do. And I also think that to remember that um, older adults are just a, just a different version of an adult, you know? So we can't categorize all 20 year olds as being a certain way or all 30 year olds or all 40 year olds or all 50 year olds. And remembering that one of the things we hear the most is that they feel like they're invisible or we feel like they're negated or disregarded or that people don't think that they're capable of certain things. And, and that's where that imposter syndrome comes in because, you know, I'm getting older, so maybe I should just get older like the rest of the world is supposed to do. But also, um, you know, there's there's silly little things that I see sometimes when people talk to older adults, like they, they raise their voice really loud, assuming that every older adult can't hear, or they talk in a baby voice. There's there's these little kind of nuances. And I remember just being caring for my mom of kind of having to have conversations even with medical providers about, you know, that she's still a person. Yes. You know, she, she's a person who, who may be compromised in certain areas, but she's still a human being. You know, this is a, this is a person who is a matriarch of my family who is quite independent and capable of an, and intelligent. And so, you know, speaking to older adults as, as people and, and not assuming that we know their narrative because they're a certain age. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I'll just uh, say one more thing. And again, this goes back to the hard thing. I was teaching at uh, an assisted living place um, once every two weeks. We, we call it chair yoga for lack of a better name. But it was all from the chair so that every, everybody could participate. And it was a combination of just different, you know, reset movements and some stretching, a little bit of work with the pool noodles for resistance. It was just a, a pretty simple class, but for 45 minutes for that age group, maybe not so hard. But the interesting thing to me was um, I just really felt attached to these uh, folks. And so at Christmas time, I had brought some just little gifts, you know, some little chocolates and some cute little, I don't know, some, I think it was like reindeer, you know, headband or something like that, um, just for a little smile. And it was so interesting how they reacted or how they responded to that. It was like, they were just like, this was like the best gift ever. Like, wow, someone actually thought of me. I'm in this assisted living. Maybe they don't see family members very often. And so just by showing them a little bit of like, I see you, I see yes. you. And here's that little bed. And I had one woman start to walk out and she says, you know what, even if you didn't have this movie, you could just come here every day and just smile. And I would have such a wonderful 45 minutes with you. Yeah. Right. I see you. I hear you. I want to share space with you. Not from a position of an expert, but from a position of a person who wants to really just help you feel better. So here we are together. So I love that. I think that was a great way to end this. PJ, I'm so, so glad that you came on. I love the work that you do. I really admire it. 
And I'm glad that you shared everything, you know, on Facebook, sometimes people will submit questions so we can get on there, answer any questions. Um, so again, I am Angie Miller. Uh, you can email me, my website, angiemillerfitness.com. PJ, tell us your website and how people can reach you. So my website is restorativestrength.com, kind of a mouthful. <laughs> and then uh, my Facebook page is uh, Restorative Strength there. And I do try to share like different stretches and different uh, items of uh, interest that helps them in the movement world to explain some things. Um, or they can email me at pj at restorativestrength.com. So any of those matters, Perfect. I'm here to help. So yes, reach out, please. Perfect. I love that. Thank you all for joining us. I really appreciate joining the Strong My Strong Body podcast. And uh, do, you know, keep tuning in. If you don't catch us live, you can catch us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can listen to the audio version. Again, reach out to us with any questions, but thanks so much for your time. Keep doing what you love. Loving what you do. We'll see you next time.